Hello and welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. I am Jamie Finch-Penninger and today we will be doing a bit of a wrap-up of the Australian racing season, um, a bit of the New Zealand as well, and just talking about the themes and uh, racing and, you know, basically the fun we've been having over the month of January and a bit of February. Um, Joining me, I have two podcast debutantes in... Pete Livingston, who's been bugging me to get on the podcast for so long that I, you know, eventually I uh, gave in, and this is a bit of a pity call up for Pete. Pete, how you doing? Uh, not so good now, Jamie. I was very excited, as you've mentioned, but uh, now this is just charity, so forget about it. <laughs> um, yeah, Pete, of course, uh, riding with Moby's Bridge Lane after a very successful uh, Herald Sun tour there. Um, unfortunately, a bit banged up at the moment. Uh, Pete, uh, just talk a bit about your injuries. I mean, in hospital yesterday. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was a privilege to be a part of the Herald Sun Tour uh, team. We've got such a strong roster, but um, I did have a crash, unfortunately. There were, there were a few, and I managed to get gravel all through some wounds, and, uh, and a bit of an infection hit me. So just in hospital, grab some antibiotics, and uh, I'm on the mend. And as you can see, I'm so excited. I, I, I ran out of hospital just to come and do this podcast. And we're happy to have you. Um, the other debutant is Brody Chapman. Uh, Currently, I think, CBR women's racing, but that might change in, in the near future. Well, we'll see. Cross fingers, touching wood and all those things. Um, Brody, of, of course, straight off your uh, women's Herald Sun Tour win, winning the inaugural edition of that. And, yeah, well, we'll let her introduce herself. How are you doing, Brody? Doing pretty good. Pretty stoked to be on a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, oh, and um, obviously you've been involved in cycling media for quite a long time, working with uh, Bike Exchange Cycling Tips, that crew over there. Um, so, yeah, you know how all this stuff goes anyway. Yeah, it's uh, good to be on the other side of it, actually. It's a bit of empathy from both perspectives. So it's exciting to talk about bikes, whether it's for work or whether it's for leisure. <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> and uh, I remember at the, at, the, at the end of the race, um, essentially when you'd gone over the prologue finish line and um, you realised that you'd won and... I was with the Cycling Tips crew. They couldn't have been happier either. They were just beaming from ear to ear and they were just so happy for you. I mean, it, it must be nice to you know have that sort of support. Uh, it's amazing. It's such a rarity to have uh, an employee, sorry, employer that is just so supportive. I mean, those guys live and breathe cycling just as much as I do. And my colleague Taylor from Bike Exchange was there, you know, kind of basically doing the work that I should have been doing while also supporting me. And it's really awesome to have friends, colleagues, and also those guys, yeah, those guys as media. It um, makes it very comfortable, I suppose. It's always uh, it's always fun to find out what people do um, as part of their day jobs, essentially, because, I mean, cycling for a lot of people um, doesn't pay the bills. So you've got to support it with other, either with, you know, family support or, you know, supporting yourself through through work. I mean, I know, uh, uh, Pete, you work at a Brookvale cycle, cycle shop, don't you? Yeah, uh, we'll give them a quick quick plug then. Oh yeah, no, I work at Brookvale Bike Factory, just your local bike shop, and building bikes and uh, selling bikes. So uh, I think most of the NRS peloton uh, certainly does that. Certainly, quite a common job, I think, amongst uh, people. That that in student, I think, is probably the most common. Um, anyway, we'll come back with a brief chat about you know just the issues that we're coming that we're coming across in cycling and what we thought of the Australian cycling summer. Actually, no, we won't, because I'm going to do a quick little promo for um, our sponsors. Of course, they are Out of the Rat Race Cycling Apparel. Um, they produce great sustainable kit, pro-level kit, great looking, great fitting, and ecologically sustainable. So they plant five trees uh, to go into reforestation projects around the globe for every garment bought. So go on to www.com.au um, to find out more. Brody likes it, just giving a quick nod there, loves it.
and we are back talking cycling. I don't know where to start. I mean, let's let's start from the beginning. I mean, obviously it was a bit of a different start to the to the Australian summer this year. No bay crits, and I don't know that gave a different flavour for the start of the start of the summer for me because you've got the bay crits. They take you into nationals. You get to go down there, see who else is doing well, see see what's going on, and essentially give your legs a bit of a tune up before. Um, before nationals and see who else is doing well. So, yeah, a bit different this year that it wasn't on, but um, it'll be interesting to see if it comes back next year. I'm not sure if it, I'm not sure what the plans are there. I'll have to get on to John Trevorrow and work that out. But uh, Pete, what was your opinion on No Bakerets? Oh, it certainly made the start of the year very full on. Between Christmas and New Year's Eve, you have so many family obligations and social things, and uh, we're all trying to be in the best form of our lives, kind of coming into nationals. Uh, I know the team and the staff, especially having you know new sponsors, new kit, new bikes needing to be built almost immediately. Uh, we drove all our vehicles down almost on the 31st of December and the 1st of January to get to Ballarat. And throughout that week, uh, the mechanic, Tom Petty, was building, I think, 19 or 20 focus bikes of ETAP. So nice nice that it was ETAP and it made the builds pretty quick. But uh, yeah, certainly a rush. Yeah, the absence of Bay Crits was quite disappointing uh, initially, just because, I mean, it's such a fun, exciting series. And, you know, you've, it just draws crowds in and brings attention to cycling and not only just local cycling, but you've got some of the best races in the world there a lot of the times. Um, and it does give you a bit of idea of who's in form, um, what the teams are doing, who's on the roster. Yeah, I mean, usually, you know, each year everyone else is getting a bit wild in New Year's and you're getting to bed early and having a good dinner because you've got to get up and race the next day. But yeah, I mean, understandably, going into nationals, it was kind of good to use a bit of that time for family and Christmas stuff, like you said, and then get your head screwed on to get into nationals. But I, I do hope to see the return of it. I think it's really good for cycling. Well, hopefully it does come back because it's a, a unique event in that, in that sense and one with quite a, lot, quite a bit of history behind it. Yeah, so then we went into nationals, um, a slightly expanded format of nationals this, uh, this time around with more juniors racing um, and Paralympic athlete, or para-athletes um, racing as well. And yeah, it, I, I liked it. It was a bit more inclusive, a bit more, it felt, you know, and putting them on the same, same stage as the elite riders, which... I, th- I think is a good thing for paracycling, good thing for the juniors as well. I mean, we wouldn't have had a story like Sarah Gigante, for instance, um, taking out taking out all those um, races if if um, under 19s would be on a, on at a different time. So yeah, great to see that. I don't know if you've had anything to do with Sarah in the past, but she's just a, a bubbly, a loving life uh, sort of personality, and she's she's actually gone on to win I think two more uh, national titles at the at the track as well. So she's just. She's just on a hot streak at the moment, Brody. Yeah, look, I've had the pleasure of riding and racing with Sarah a little bit locally when I was living in Melbourne. So I'd see her rock up to, say, the Hawthorne Cycling teardrop crit. Um, she'd crush the field in men's C and usually get a podium spot plus take out the women's one there. And then often she'd race the women's afterwards and also get um, get the top step there. And, um, yeah, a few local bunch rides. She's putting everyone to the sword, myself included. So it was just awesome to see her really have a um, platform for that form at uh, Nationals. And uh, I did get to race with her at Race Melbourne as well and just seeing how much she made the most of that opportunity was super impressive. It's it's inspiring. It's, yeah. 
Oh, look, I think it's a great idea to have the under-19s racing as well. Um, not, not to mention, you know, the, the fantastic stories that those races produce. But I think for the under-19 guys, we have some on uh, a development part of our team. Uh, they have the opportunity to sort of live with the, the elite riders. Um, you know, they go tra- on training rides and recon rides with us, and I think they learn a lot. So I think it's a great idea. Yeah, the racing, though, there was amazing. I mean, I think the Nationals really turns it on every time. And it's, yeah, it's just as... It it just works down in Ballarat. Um, I actually wrote a, a blog on it um, because, I mean, obviously Ballarat cops a lot of criticism from people like, oh god, is it Ballarat again? It's boring. But um, it's just a really good course. It produces really t- tight, close racing, and you know the city of Ballarat supports it quite well. I mean, I don't I don't know if you could move it and get that that same level of support elsewhere. And I mean, I've heard people say, you know, maybe Bathurst, maybe the Gold Coast. But I don't know. I'd want to see something from those places hosting more bike events before they. But before we say, okay, well, you're going to take the one of the biggest races of the of the summer and move it up there. Yeah, look, Ballarat's an awesome circuit, and it must be noted that they did actually change the course a little bit this year, which I found really exciting. It just added a bit more of a technical element to it. It just mixes it up for the riders. Um, so that was a welcome addition, in my opinion. Um, it's it's so in, nice to hear that. The city of Ballarat supports the event there and it definitely draws the crowds and that kind of stuff. I do understand that for some other teams travelling or individuals travelling, it is you know a bit more of a pilgrimage every year. So I would like to see it perhaps rotated between say three major locations um so you know the gold coast or somewhere in new south wales would just make it a bit more accessible to perhaps other local riders and also crowds like it'd be good to put um australia's best cyclists on show for other parts of australia but um yeah not saying that i want to take it away from ballarat at all because it's it's still such an iconic course but yeah it's an interesting point that we that we need to see it um rotated around so other people can get a chance to see it but i don't know i mean would would we get anywhere near the same sort of crowds if we did take it somewhere else? People ask, Melbourne is probably the biggest place for cyclists and cycling fans and sport fans in general. And it draws a, quite a lot, a lot of that crowd up to Ballarat uh, and, and that Mount Bungyong circuit. And I'm not sure we'd get that elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, good to have a bit of diversity in there. Uh, Pete, you, you got a... You got any burning opinions on this issue? No, no. Uh, uh, look, it's produced a very exciting race every year. The the course change is welcome. Uh, yeah, a different rider has been winning every single year the last few years, so uh, loving it there. And if another city can produce a business case just as good as Ballarat, then uh, we'll give it a ch- we'll give it a go. But uh, for now, Ballarat's the king. From there, we moved um, the pilgrimage, as as you termed it. We um, everyone migrated across to. Adelaide for the Tour Down Under and that's essentially where you go if you're a bike fan and you want to have a good time it's it's that sort of festival atmosphere almost where all things bikes are celebrated and yeah and it's just a very inclusive space in in that regard for anyone who rides a bike good to see that the women's race was an absolutely cracking addition this year it was some superb racing uh, actually over there i mean wins climbs sprints it had a, it had a bit of everything and i think we got a worthy winner in the end in amanda spratt um obviously i think catherine garfield was probably the strongest rider but um when you've got a team like mitchell and scott and they ride as they did in a in a very concerted fashion to isolate garfield and then go on the attack themselves that's how you win bike races by playing smart tactics um you got you got the chance to race not that not race but um, race with the Cordamenta national team. Um, what it, what is it like with those 
pro athletes on there. I mean, obviously all very experienced professionals. Look, that was the opportunity of a lifetime to race on the Cordamantha Australian team. They had all raced together under UniSA at Women's TDU and um, it, it appeared to work really well. I had some placings there and Loretta Hansen and I must note local placings by Grace Brown as well, who's a domestic rider and that was pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, I got the opportunity to ride with the Cordamantha Australian team at Harold uh, Sun Tour and it was it's just an experience that you want to kind of take everything out of. Like each one of those girls... Um, have their own experience in the professional peloton for a number of years. They've all had their breakthrough rides and successes. So I was really just trying to be a sponge and take in everything when, uh, that I could get from those girls. And, um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a more supportive team and being relatively unknown and quite fresh in that situation. So, yeah, and as you mentioned, like Kat Garfoot's one of the world's best bike riders and so to ride alongside her in support of her, and uh, hear what she has to say was, yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's great to see the women's events doing so well. I mean, uh, I think it was observed a few times that, you know, a few years ago, we didn't have any of these events. We didn't have women's TDU, didn't have um, Cadell's, didn't have um, the new Herald Sun to us. So it's great to see a proper season for the women now early on. And, you know, some of the international teams as well coming over and making, making a go of it. I mean, they're not in great form. Um, yeah, I reckon with it's so it's awesome to see the NRS teams getting amongst it. I mean, it's just like how else do you learn unless you have that opportunity to ride amongst a bigger and stronger peloton? It's it's the same with all of us who've only really raced domestically. It's it's a bit of a shock to the system, um, but it's great to have such a big peloton over here because you know in the NRS, depending, you you don't have that many riders. Like even the nationals, that's probably the biggest peloton we race in domestically. So. The hats off to a lot of the NRS teams, including like Sydney and Staminade, um, Specialised, Holden. Everyone makes an attempt to animate the race, you know, um, which is great for spectators and it's great for the sport. So, yeah. Yeah, particularly Sydney Uni there. I mean, I'm glad you brought them up because they were superb at getting off the front of the race and creating, you know, interest in, in what was going on out there. I mean, I think Georgia Whitehouse in the Cadell's race, I mean, some of, the, some of that stuff out there was, was some of the more entertaining things um, that we've ever seen in the road. I don't know if you, if you caught much of it, Brody, but there were a few moments out there where, I mean, she's, very, she's a very green rider. I mean, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, well, she's, I mean, she's got massive amounts of power, though, doesn't she? I mean, and, you know, but you see things like, um, you know, not quite uh, making sure the mechanics know exactly what's going on with your bike before you pull over. And uh, doing coming to an almost complete stop for the intermediate sprint was uh, was funny. <laughs> so yeah. Lee, I mean, uh, so probably probably my most memorable moment of the summer there. Yeah, definitely. Look, it's quite interesting looking back on it and just actually, you know, there's there's talk about what's going on, but no one really knew until watching the footage later. And it's it's a mistake that happens. It can happen in um, you know less experienced riders and. It's, it is what it is, but at the end of the day, she, she took a risk, gave it a good crack, probably got a great workout in her legs. You know, the, the peloton definitely wasn't responding to that attack, I suppose, just given the calibre of riders that were still within the peloton. Um, but, hey, I, I say hats off to them. They were up there mixing it up. So, yeah, and Georgia, I don't know her very well, and she is a very strong bike rider. I know she's had some success in the NRS, and uh, in some local racing, we've gone head-to-head a few times, so... I've won up during a sprint before, but last night she uh, won up to me. So there you go. <laughs> Just staying on the women's theme. Sorry, Pete. Um, <laughs> we're, it's, I mean, it's obviously been a well-publicised you know, disappointment that um, the women's development team is no longer um, a part of Cycling Australia or Rochelle Gilmore's um, 
plans. I mean, Rochelle made it very clear that she'd be happy to do it, um, but th- there does need to be some level of, of support there um, for to enable her to, you know, um, essentially be part of the financial side of backing things. Yeah, so that won't be going ahead, but we do get these opportunities at home to um, instead, you know, impress some of those international teams. And I think a rider like Grace Brown, for instance, who you mentioned earlier, will definitely have been put on a lot of people's radars by the rides that she did, not just at Nationals, but at TDU and Cadell's as well, where she she did well. Um, Harold's son, she, I think she had a mechanical at one stage, which might have um, taken, a, you know, taken a bit of the sting out of her legs for her to do a better ride, but she was still front group and she did really well. Yeah, just on that theme though, is it enough... Is it enough of an opportunity for those Australian women to show themselves to those international teams in that summer season? Look, it is to a degree because all the Australian riders have kind of been picking towards these races, um, obviously our national road race. I think it's such a disappointment that there is no national women's team. Like, that's no secret. Just looking at the riders that have come out of it, I mean, Grace was a part of that last year, as was Shannon Mulseed, as was Lucy Kennedy, and all those girls um, are essentially at the calibre of... Uh, women's world tour I, I would say and it's it's just unfortunate because it seems like we were getting ahead and now to have that support taken away is does just make it more difficult it's like two steps forward one step back it feels like a lot of the time so um you know the local teams have been doing so much to support their riders like I have to say Holden's put a lot into grace and she's been so consistent and she's delivered the results and it's just a shame that there's not you know, a next step support to take the riders overseas again and um, showcase Australian talent. Whilst whilst the men's TDU was going on, of course, there was a little race over in New Zealand called the New Zealand Cycle Classic where uh, Pete made a, Pete made his appearance there. Um, what what's your what's your opinion of that race? Because I know they're doing their they say they're going to be planning big changes for that one. They're going to move to a two point one a UCI two point one status and moving the race to Wairapa, um, which is a bit closer to Auckland. Um, yeah, I mean, it's trying to be, it's trying to become a bigger part of the, of that um, summer of cycling. Um, do you think it will, it will get there, Pete? Oh, look, it was my first time to that race this season. Uh, it's a UCI 2.2, so it's on the exact same time as the men's tour down under. And being a 2.2 means there's no world tour teams are allowed, so you can have pro continental and continental teams, as well as uh, some New Zealand composite teams. So it's really good for the Australian UCI Continental teams uh, to get some racing in the legs for the riders, especially after we've got such good form from nationals. Uh, look, it, it was in based out of Masterton. The, some of the roads and the scenery we ride on are fantastic. The uh, the racing's often uh, dictated by the wind and the weather, but uh, this this year was nice. It was um, it was sunny and uh, beautiful. <laughs> there was no wind, uh, so it made for a few chaotic bunch sprints actually, because you had the whole field of uh, 130 riders or so trying to. All trying to go for a win, uh, which is uh, interesting at times. Um, but the uh, the stage up to Admiral's Hill, so the Big Queen stage, I was in the early break for all day as well. That never disappoints. That was a uh, that was a really exciting day. Uh, with with the growth of that race, I mean, it's been going around forever. Um, it used to be, I think, I believe about ten stages or so at some point. So, but um, it, we still got 750 to 800 kilometres of racing in the legs for for that week, and. Um, I'd be surprised if it was able to move to a 2.1. That would put it on the equivalent of the Jake Herald Sun Tour. And honestly, coming from New Zealand Cycle Classic to straight to Sun Tour, we flew directly to Melbourne. Um, they're different races. Uh, the Sun Tour is another level of professional 
um, it's it's very impressive the organisation, uh, and and you've obviously got the World Tour teams there as well in Trek Secafredo and Michelton Scott this year, which just uh, they proved how dominant they were. But it, it is it needs to be on, especially I think during Tour Down Under to give the uh, the Australian continental teams a a good run. Uh, and you've also got JLT Condor over there as well to to shake things up. Yeah, JLT Condor are pretty much a pro Conti squad, aren't they? Um, in a Conti in a Conti with a Conti license, so yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what would happen if they did move to two point one. I can't see them attracting. They'd have to move the time as well. You'd think. I mean, um, because they're not going to attract any World Tour teams away from the two TDU. Because apart from anything else, the World Tour teams have to do the TDU. So. Yeah, I mean it's going to be it's going to be a tough one for them to figure out because you know if they put it too much later, then teams have already headed off to the Middle East and they're doing those races. So I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do. That will be interesting to find out, though. Um, yeah, moving on. And after the TDU, I mean I thought I thought it was great racing at the TDU, which is not always the case. Um, the women's TDU is normally pretty good, but the men's TDU can be a bit tedious at times. But this year's TDU was amazing. I mean, there was really good hard racing throughout and, you know, a lot of really good moments that I think we'll remember for, for quite a while. That's the stage at Sagan one, for instance. I mean, that was, a, that was a tough little climb at the end and then just split the race up after that and we saw some actual proper racing, which is, uh, again, not something we always see from the TDU. But um, regardless, we moved on from TDU and went straight down to Cadell's. It's, it's a very different feel, Cadell's, isn't it, um, from the TDU where... It's, you know, TDU is massive, obviously. What sort of feeling do you think they're going for down at Cadell's um, there with their marketing and promotion, uh, Brody? Oh, look, I think they're doing a brilliant job at marketing it. And I think the great thing about Cadell's is that it attracts a lot of non-cyclists to uh, enjoying cycling. Um, obviously, TDU, like you said before, it's kind of the festival where all the cyclists go. And I have to agree, it was awesome racing, um, watching the men's race, especially having... Uh, a different amazing sprinter win on multiple different stages so seeing Sagan, Viviani, um, seeing Greipel come back and of course Caleb Ewan all those guys deliver was just made it super exciting and I think it mixed it up a little bit as well um, yeah and Cadell's like again it, it can play out in many different ways I think like it it appears it was to, to be a climbers race given some of those, but then um, especially the women's field um, showed a bit of a diff- that in a different light as did some of the top finishes in the men's field. But I have to say the, the city of Geelong and all the promotion around that and how involved Cadell is himself is, is really special to the riders. Like he was up saying g'day to us and good luck. Can I help you with anything um, before race Melbourne? And this is a, you know, when I was racing on Holden for the domestic team. And I think that just really says something about his commitment to all cyclists of all levels and especially having the people's race. Like he, there's no discrimination there. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, I think there's an interesting point there that you brought up earlier in that it attracts a bit more of a mainstream crowd. Um, and I think a l- large part of that is having Cadell's name on it because if you ask, um, I've got you know I've got mates who are sports fans, um, but if you ask them, oh, who's a cyclist? You know, they'll go, uh, is is Cadell still racing? I mean, <laughs> and you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, Richie Port probably cracks it these these days because I mean of his of being you know one of the favourites heading into the Tour de, Tour de France um, for the last few years. But yeah, apart from that, you'd be you'd be lucky to drag out a Simon Gerrans even you know so. It's a, it's a different sort of mainstream appeal from the one that uh, cycling normally sees. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it makes for a bit of a different event. Um, what was your perspective on it uh, there, Pete? 
We were actually in the middle of transiting from New Zealand to uh, Melbourne when the Cadell's Roast was on, and so we were desperately in the car on the way. We were coming from, I mean, the reason we were leaving New Zealand a week late, and I should mention this quickly, is uh, there's a new UCI race in the in the calendar for Oceana, and that's a 1.2 level, so the same as a 2.2, but a one-day race. It's the Gravel and Tar, based out of Palmerston North. It's, been, it's in its third edition, and is now a, a UCI race. Uh, that was very exciting to be a part of. Absolutely wild race. Um, as you can hear from the name, it was a good 45 kilometres of yep, uh, just gravel and rocks and stones. And I think some riders ended up with maybe six flats, um, crashes. It's It was really exciting. And uh, a bit of a shout out to Mr. Ethan Behrens himself, my teammate. He's only, uh, I think he's 19 years of age and uh, took out the win at a UCI event out sprinting Michael Torkler, who we all know has been a pro in the US for a few years and is still in such great form. Uh, from the early breakaway, led, the, led all day and um, attacked up the main KOM, took Torkler with him and the two of them swapped off all the way to the end where he, uh, he managed to take the win. So that I think, I think uh, for our summer of cycling, we should include that race. It's, uh, I hope it stays UCI. Uh, there's hopefully more continental teams, maybe even JLT Condor can stay after New Zealand and race it. Uh, but it was a competitive field, and it, it's it's so wild. I hope um, I hope we get some more uh, drone footage and some. They even had a helicopter out for the finish, and uh, so everybody gets to see what uh, what Palmerston North can can show. That being said, when we were we were travelling back, I'll get back to I'll get back to Cadell's. Yeah. Brody, Brody, you looked very excited. I didn't really know much about it. That sounds so sick. I wish I watched it. <laughs> I'll have to go back and find the footage. I had no idea that was on. That sounds gnarly and also sounds pretty telling. Gravel and tar. Um, and well done to your teammate. I wish that was more publicised within Australia. Yeah, fair enough. That's, my, that's on me, I suppose. But, <laughs> but yeah, um, no, and I mean, I saw some pictures of the, of the race afterwards and I read the race report um, and it, it looks, I mean, it looks like a bloody hard race <laughs> yeah it's savage i mean there's i i remember overtaking joel walsh i i, I think i rode about 75 kilometers by myself at one point i overtook joe Wal joel walsh five kilometers from the finish it turns out he'd been riding on a flat tubular for 35k and um it's just it's sort of that kind of summarizes the race uh, uh, expensive race as well from the sound of things from a team's perspective you look you want to go with good tires that's for sure i think uh in the technical guide they should say these are the only tires that you could kind of ride with and uh, training wheels too I'd, a lot of us were riding on alloy rims because of all the stones being flicked up and uh, but yeah very exciting race uh, and it was on the same it was the day before cadell's um, so it, again, it, you've got the Tour Down Under and New Zealand Cycle Classic for the smaller teams, and uh, hopefully we can see Gravel and Tar rival Cadells in terms of the World Tour guys going to Cadells, and uh, all the I think we now have got eight UCI Continental teams in Australia, and we hopefully we can get all eight going to Gravel and Tar too. Yeah, so moving on from that part of the part of the season now with those one-day races, um, it was straight into the Herald Sun Tour where Brody comes on co comes on the scene as uh, the the heroine of the hour. It was it was quite a quite an impressive performance, not just because you won, but also the manner of victory, going on the attack solo on the K on the QOM, and then you know getting caught. And normally for most people that means race over, you've been caught by a larger group. But no, you 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 sat in. And then went again on the final climb there, and then managed to hold off Adamic Van Vluten, who was chasing you down for um, best part of 15 kilometres. Um, is it is it still is it, it seems slightly surreal still, or what's what's the thinking on it a few weeks after, well a week after? It does feel kind of surreal, like in hindsight, 
Uh, I suppose the most surreal part for me is sharing the podium with Annemiek Van Vluten and Chloe Hosking, who was just fresh off her Cadell's win. Like, those two girls are, you know, the world's best cyclists and to be able to stand in between them in the on the top step was is is still very surreal. Um, but I suppose with regards to that race, like I obviously had a chance given to me by Cordamantha and Cycling Australia and I had a very strong and experienced team around me and it's kind of one of those things with racing like all the stars have to align right like I was a relatively unknown rider to the international peloton so you know wasn't marked myself I knew that the course suited me uh, given the climbs but also the technical descents um, so I just tried to make the best of everything on that day and, and, you know, it paid off in the end and I have been working very hard over the last couple of months in order to be able to ride like that. So it's just so satisfying when everything comes comes together. But yeah, like I suppose after the first attack where I thought, you know, I'll just try and get the jersey, I did go early on that QM instead of the second little lump because I knew I could use that middle descent, which was everyone was talking about it being technical and wet and I hadn't actually seen it beforehand, but I am pretty confident that I would be able to maintain a gap at least through there and then hit it again on the second little pinch, which got the QM. Um, I absolutely anticipated that I'd get caught again on the flat, knowing it was like a 30k stretch. Um, I chose not to sit up and wait. I just kind of rode at a sustainable pace, knowing, okay, I don't want to. I don't want to be one of those riders that goes solo and then end up getting ejected out the back. I wanted to stay in the mix. So once the like the chase group caught me, um, I very much trusted that one of my teammates would be in that, and of course they were. It was Tiffany Cromwell, which I couldn't have asked for anything more like she is uh, has been a professional rider for years and she's got so much experience and under her belt so having her there to basically make the calls protect me um let me you know she was driving the brakes super hard amongst some other riders so that was that's the epitome of teamwork right there like I don't think I would have survived had she not come across and really just said it how it was so once we got to the climb again it was her whispering in my ear basically me then just having a good time because it's such a sick climb <laughs> yeah it's an interesting climb that one it's um just fairly constant throughout i mean it's there's not much respite out there um and then the technical finish to the technical descent uh well technical-ish descent uh it's quite a fast descent though and you can you can pedal pretty much through every corner and then just the slog to the line i mean uh, did you ever did you have a chance to look back and see the rainbow stripes coming well it wasn't rainbow stripes then um because she wasn't the time trial but she would wear that she'd wear them later but um did you have a chance to look back no because i was just like there's nothing more i can do whether i know who's coming or how far she's coming I'm still just going to keep riding as fast as I can I, like I've said in hindsight knowing that it, who it was at the time I didn't know it was Annemiek Van Vleuten I just knew there was a chase rider who was gaining on me quite you know towards the end quite quickly um but yeah I kind of wanted to stop hearing time gaps by the end because I was just doing everything I could to get to the finish line as quick as I could so I, again, like I once I'd used that descent a little bit, like like you mentioned, it wasn't technical. You did have to pedal the entire thing. Um, along the way back, there was a headwind. So I just had to think, well, if I'm a solo rider struggling in a headwind, then the rider chasing me is also a solo rider struggling in the headwind, probably going super deep. So we were both at the same disadvantage there. But um, yeah, again, I'm super stoked to have just made it there. And looking back on the footage, I can see how close she was. So given another couple of Ks, it might have been all over. <laughs> yeah, 
It's interesting. You mentioned, you know, almost thinking to yourself when you're out there on the road, you know, motivating yourself in, and um, talking to yourself in your head. I mean, is that is that something that a lot of cyclists do? I mean, I, I don't know, Pete. If you if you, I've I've been in I've been in the Mobius car a few times when when you've been uh, riding, and uh, yeah, at times you, you get you get quite worked up at, at times. Do you have to talk to yourself at all? Oh, look, at, at many points during the race, you'll question your life choices that led you there. <laughs> Um, we all know that as uh, you know, elite athletes, but um, it, it's it's intense. You know, it's it's high level sport. There's a lot on a lot on the line, and it's also a very dangerous sport. Uh, whether that be we've made a mistake uh, on the road, and we've we've got to fix that by whether it's riding the front because we missed the move or something. Um, uh, there, there's passion in it, and that's that's what's important. But I, I didn't realise I had that reputation with you, Jamie. I think it was, I think it was Battle Recharge where you were coming back to the car and. Um and yeah, you, you had a mechanical at some stage, and you were you were kind of fretting, fretting a bit, you know, freaking out, and uh, and getting very intense uh, when you're chatting with Tom in the car. Not that there were any harsh words or anything. It was just that, um, well, there might have been a bit of swearing, but who knows? Um, yeah, Brody. I mean, that self-talk. I mean, how much does that help um, throughout the race? Oh, it's it's everything. I mean, just hearing what you're saying about Pete, I can relate completely. Like. It's, you care about it so much. Like you have to care about everything going on in that race in that moment. It is 100% your reality at the time. So sure, after the race, you can retrospectively be like, oh, I was probably overreacting a bit. But you've just got to, it's, it's super emotional if you care about something that much. Like Pete said, it's, you've got passion in it. There's things at stake. There's team dynamic. There's, and also, while all this is going on, you're on your physical limit, um, which just makes you react in ways that are not always you know emotionally logical but I think that's totally fine like I mean after races where I haven't been great I'm overly emotional and disappointed and you know it's just that's part of it and being an athlete learning to manage those is um it's it's relevant but I think you should be able to just leave it all out there on the day it's yeah, so the, like in, in that, the self-talk is very important. Like for me, especially when you're solo, you have a lot more time to be motivating yourself because the way I see it is that you just don't have time to be thinking how much it's hurting or how negative it is or this, I can't wait to the end because that just, it's like a second arrow. It just makes it hurt more. So I, I really do have conversations with myself, just like, you love this. This is why you're doing it. Like, how good is this descent? You know, how beautiful is this area? And whether it's, you know, super authentic or not doesn't matter because I'm just telling myself that to try and, you know, I, I just turn the legs over, have a good time. I love this shit. Like, sorry, excuse the language. But uh, that's that's why I'm there, right? Like, I'm privileged enough to ride my bike and have all these people around me basically doing everything they can just so I can ride my bike well. I'm going to make the most of it. <laughs> and it offers... Um you know, unique experiences like um, the first joint race that you guys did. I mean, joint race day at least uh, at the cri- not criterium. I always say criterium when I mean prologue. Prologue. Um, it's all finishing time trial for you um, of the of the Herald Sun tour, and it's yeah, it's interesting. It's held in in the centre of Melbourne. It's done along the Yarra River there and uh, along South Bank, and it's short, sharp, very very fast, and it it offers a a, a unique. A unique, unique view, and I think we saw a few of the um, continental Australian continental teams um, utilise that by getting some sponsors down there, getting a, a, making it a bit more visible. 
for you know for a lot of sponsors who don't often go who don't often go to the Gippsland or um, out to King Valley to see a race. They they want to see you know be able to take their mates down and have a few beers whilst watching the the Benelong name or the Moby's name, Moby's Bridge Lane name, you know, racing around on Melbourne streets. What was the experience like from your guys' perspective? I mean, probably a bigger crowd than you're used to, Pete, for most of the races. Oh, it was, it was electric. It was it was amazing to be a part of. You know, you, you, you're you at a professional race um, with nearly well, a large majority of the field on full pro contracts as well. You know, we'd worked really hard uh, behind the scenes for the team to obviously gain the licence, gain the entry. Uh, this has been years in the making to, to get to a race like this. It's a, just an, and it's just a privilege to be on the, on the roster going into that race. Uh, the prologue, I think... Uh, <laughs> People will go, oh, but it's only 1.6k. It has no impact on the race. Why? Why would it be there? Yeah, it's it's so exciting. You've got to get down there. I mean, even from a rider's point of view, if you're finishing, you know, tenth or eightieth, um, it's just a heap of fun. And it, it, you're right, absolutely right. It does show off um, some of the smaller teams and and their sponsors to to the general public because people are walking home from work and there's a bike rider flying past um, along the Arrow River and uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, if you caught the last episode of the podcast, Ed Clancy did a great interview after that, just explaining the the level of dedication he went into and level of detail that he went into um, in uh, attacking that course. I mean, he did um, he looked at it on Google Maps. He uh, broke it down into sections, decided exactly when he was going to use his power and how he was going to do it. Um, he did a, a, a technical uh, recon of the course a few weeks out when he was down there for a photo shoot. I mean, that sort of dedication... Um, you know, wouldn't be wouldn't be possible on a 160 kilometer road stage or anything like that. You can't just break it down into those minute details. So it offers something different and offers a lot of very special memories, which will where Brody comes in, I guess. I mean, what was what was the feeling like when you when you knew you'd um, you'd done enough to secure the yellow jersey? Oh look, it was it was always on the cards, given that 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 we only had two stages and the second stage was so short, and um, I had twelve seconds on Anamik at that point. But again, like Pete said, I was just super excited to be racing that course. I mean, it's like the crowds are there, even though we were still technically racing through work hours. Um, our team sponsor, Cordamentha, had everyone down there watching. Um, I have watched as a spectator the Herald Sun the last two years and watched the men race that specific uh, stage. Um, and I just always wished that I could be part of it. Like I wish I could whip around the course as well. And so I'm really stoked we got to this year. But yeah, just, just watching how much everyone else is um, getting around it is probably the most inspiring part. And like you say with um, Clancy's deep analytics of that course that's what makes the difference between a great time trialer and a mediocre time trialer like I have to say in the women's race we had Kat Garford on our team um, and she was taking me through the course and the amount of detail that she was also going into like filming the corners picking the lines reading the wind and I'm sure she had a lot of stuff going you know where she's putting her power down and that kind of stuff is what you know, it's such a short course, like what you've got to take advantage of every tiny advantage you can get. So, and I'm sure Anamik was doing a, the same thing. So, and those two girls finished, yeah, really high up. So <laughs> for me, it was a matter of kind of playing it safe. Like I knew that, and I'm sure Anamik knew as well, that it was going to be pretty hard to lose 12 seconds over that very, very short amount of time. So I wanted to obviously give it everything I had, but I did hold back a little bit in those corners um 
there wasn't as much at stake. It was more a matter of don't bin it, don't be a dickhead in front of everyone and lay it down. Just keep it tidy. You know, once I was on that finishing straight, I pretty much knew, all right, now I can throw down a bit more. Um, and getting to the end and knowing that the yellow jersey was mine was um, just a relieving feeling because I wasn't super nervous about that stage, but everyone else was. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, well, you're actually laughing on the um, on the starting ramp there, which which I think had the commentators going, what, what's what's going on? She's having a, having a laugh <laughs> already. I was just excited. Like it's... Yeah, I mean, that's my commute. I used to commute to work, like, on that bike path along that river, um, dodging pedestrians usually. And here it was, like, all, you know, barricaded up to do a race. And I just was like, this is what I want to be doing. Like, I'm racing my bike. I got my, my – all my close friends were there and my family was there. And Annemiek van Vluten's just ridden off. Like, that's so rad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's some ironically placed uh, "thanks for riding slowly" signs uh, along that along South Bank there, um, which I think were flouted by by the majority of the cyclists going around. Um, congrats on winning the inaugural um, Herald uh, Herald Sun Women's Tour. I mean, it's it's going to be a part of history. I, I don't know where they're going to carve carve your name on the trophy because um, they've got the they've got the men's on the other side as well. So they're going to have to they're going to have to uh, find a spot spot for you somewhere they just said they'd put it on there too which is which is quite cool I mean I the only thing I can hope for the future of the Women's Herald Sun is that there are more stages which I'm sure will come in time like what they've done this year and the amount of media I have to say positive media around it has been made a huge difference like having all sorts of cycling media outlets really get around it and photographers from professional photographers to amateur photographers just spreading the images of the women's racing um is, is great time so I hope that in the future we do have more stages because I suppose that would then make it a bit more would be at stake like you'd likely see the yellow jersey change hands and um yeah a, a bit more racing for the girls but in saying that what's what's happened so far is super positive so and it's always good to sit up and then watch the men's racing afterwards like I really enjoy that as well just knowing that those guys are out there doing some huge long gnarly days and also seeing some of the local guys um and domestic teams or continental teams get amongst it's uh really awesome as well yeah so moving on to the men's race now it was a it was a very lot a lot of long stages there which is uh, a bit of a departure for the herald sun to uh, feel i mean yeah it's, it's quite a lot of racing for the the for the european and international pros to be doing at this stage of the year so i'm i'm, su- I'm surprised they opted to go that way and um, what well, well i mean what was your experience of it, Pete? I mean, obviously, Aussie riders are in a bit better form than the than the Euros and internationals. Uh, yeah, look, this time of the year is always a good opportunity for uh, Aussie riders to pick up UCI points uh, while we're in good form and they've come from uh, some freezing cold, uh, you know, European bases. But the the long the long stages, I know some of the guys, especially on my team, finished the week with over a thousand kilometres uh, clocked, and uh, it is a big week. Uh, it's a lot of racing, but I think it. It puts it puts that race on the same level as uh, what you'd get sort of you know mid European summer too because they're they're the length of the stages that they're doing uh, in these 2.1 2.8 sea level races in Spain or uh, Germany or France wherever you are so it was it was a new challenge because uh, a lot of us are preparing for you know the nationals which is a one day race usually a lot more higher intensity and whether you're an under 23 or a, or an elite it's only at the maximum 185 kilometers. Uh, and then suddenly you've got to get ready for uh, uh, what is potentially a 1,000k week of racing. Uh, so that offered a couple of different challenges. And uh, uh, look, 
it was tiring. Uh, it was hard, uh, especially if you happen to crash on uh, before the two 200 plus K days. But we, we saw young guys and young emerging talent, as, uh, as you've talked about on Cycling Central, still uh, perform and outperform a lot of the European riders uh, at the end of those long days. And I think that's just a credit to uh, how strong the domestic Australian and the Australian continental riders are. Yeah, well, let's shout out a few of them now. I mean, Alex Evans, obviously your, your own teammate. Um, after uh, winning the Queen stage of the Tour of Tasmania, immediately comes and shows that that was, it was no fluke and he can do it against some of the best riders in the world, you know, taking second on that Lake Man stage there. Yeah, that was so exciting. I mean, we weren't too sure what to expect. Tom uh, has, obviously Alex Evans is a new signing for our team for this year. He was riding with AMR Renault, a domestic team last year. Definitely a fantastic climber, but we didn't know too much about him. And uh, he was, you know, nice guy. He raced with at Nationals, had a good run. I think he finished 13th. Coming into coming into this race, we knew he'd be, uh, he'd be looking good for Lake Mountain. What we weren't too sure and what I think a lot of people doubted was whether he can get through all those kilometres and still produce such a good ride. Uh, and the fact that he did just shows how how good the guy is. It also it also says a lot about a lot about the team. Mobius Bridge Lane's done a fantastic job at having uh, good quality road captains, um, in Brad Evans and Al Donohoe, and then uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of workhorses getting bottles and um, and dragging dragging the guys up to the front. But also I do want to mention our young Victorian climbers. Um, Ethan Behrens obviously coming off his win at Gravel and Tars in good form, and uh, Angus Lyons is just uh, he can do everything, but uh, especially when it's going uphill. And those guys ripped apart the uh, field. I remember I saw a quote from Damien Housen saying that uh, the tempo they set shred the field to 15 riders before only Chavez and Alex could go. So it's just uh, it, it's quite exciting just to be a part of that. Yeah, it was um, it was almost a Team Sky like lead out um, going into the bottom of that bottom of that climb there I mean a lot of the teams were really fighting for the foot of the climb because it got steep almost immediately on on that climb and you guys were right at the front of the peloton you know driving the pace and as as you said shredding the field yeah it's 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 a privilege to um to be up uh, next to the world tour teams and uh it's a little worrying, I think, as Al Donner, who said, he goes, oh, look, mate, if we don't perform and we've been riding like this, you know, ripping it up next to the World Tour guys, uh, we're going to look like Muppets. But, you know, good thing Alex is such a talent and managed to pull it off. But, uh, yeah, again, it was we made some really good calls on the road. Um, Al, Al and uh, Jesse Coyle really coordinated that. Jesse burned himself up uh, in the flat leading in. I helped out with positioning Alex. and uh, And then the skinny guys took over and did their work. Well, that's that's their job, I suppose. I mean, you did a great job setting them up there. Um, next next point I want to move on to is, um, you know, all the all your continental guys are flying around at the moment. But just how good are Mitchell and Scott? Because they've got goals later on. I mean, Chavez, he 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 wanted to win the race, sure, but he's got goals the Giro d'Italia coming up, and you know, Cameron Myers got mixed goals of track and road, um, but they go one, two, three. And you know, never look, never look in doubt for taking the win out there. I mean, just how good are Mitchell and Scott? Look, I'd, I'd even be inclined to say, look, Chavez was training. He dominated, and he rode 50k home after the King Lake stage as well. He was just training. I think a lot of the guy Rob Power was training. Lucas Hamilton was riding the front for most of the day on the Lake Mountain stage, and still got up uh, in the top 15. And I'd almost be inclined to say that their Mitchell and Scott's A squad is over racing in Spain at the moment. So I don't even think that the guys here were the absolute best apart from Chavez. Um, yeah, they've got to be in good form for the Aussie summer, but they, they're not at their best at the moment. Uh, and it, it shows just how good the World Tour teams are and how long the road ahead is.
Yeah, do, do you get that sense at all from when you were racing against those European pros, uh, Brody, that, you know, they've, they've just got another level to go to? Yeah, look, as far as I understand, I mean, their season is only just beginning, um, whereas the Australians, we're all in very good form, like I said before, given our calendar. But yeah, I mean, the fact that the, the sheer amount of race days that those girls do compared to us domestically is impressive. And to be able to maintain form and take wins, like, I mean, looking at Chloe Hosking, I just can't wait to see what else she's got um, going this year. Um, and yeah, especially going into Commonwealth Games, I'm really excited to see, like, to have her perform that consistently is is really cool. She um, did say that she was really concentrating on winning Cadell's. I mean, even for a f- from a few months out, um, I think she said her training for the race started in November, very specific training over those sort of power efforts that you needed to do to get over those climbs. And yeah, she was right at the front of most of those climbs in that group behind uh, Van Vluten. Uh, well, you, you'd have known. I mean, you, you, were, you were right there. Yeah, um, look, that was such an interesting race because it was pretty boring for 70Ks um, until Mitchelton and Scott, as they do, launch some attacks uh, on that long slog. Um, a lot of people expected that climbers can't get over a hill like, what was that road called again? Chalambra. But it's, it's not that long and it's if you're strong and you're determined, it just goes to show that the sprinters can get over it and then also be there at the finish line. So, um, yeah, once I was in that final group and looked around who was there, I was like, oh, all right, it's going to be a sprint finish and it's going to be interesting to see um, how it goes down. But it's just cool to hear someone like Chloe saying, targeting a race like that um, against odds and against perhaps um, popular belief that she wouldn't get there. And the, that coupled with the fact that she just had an amazing win is is inspiring to a rider such as myself like okay you can target a race you can train for it specifically um you don't have to box yourself into being a specific type of rider forever um you obviously usually race to your strengths and train to your weaknesses but yeah i mean it's i'm excited to see the rest of the caliber of the professional women's peloton i mean that was only a small snapshot right like there's a lot more out there (laughs) and uh, pete i mean obviously You've taken away some injuries and a uh, bit of experience from uh, racing the Herald Center. I mean, what's what's it like going up against those big guys? Do you does that inspire you to you know be more like them, or you? Um, I mean, what have you taken away from uh, that racing experience? Oh yeah, it's so exciting to to be at that race. Um, have not only two World Tour teams, but I think up to four Pro Continental teams too. Just just the way those guys ride, um, how disciplined they are in terms of uh, you know their tactics, uh, how they sit their riders out of the wind, um, you know, all the bottle runs that they can do. They're back and forth to the convoy all day. Um, their equipment, their mechanics, their whole setup. Even though they're on the other side of the world, very early on in the year. Um, is so is so well run and so disciplined and uh, I think a lot of the uh, Australian continental teams can learn a lot from them and learn a lot from racing against them. On a personal note, I was I was travelling in the uh, Wow Deals car um, for the Herald Sun uh, Women's Tour and yeah, it was it was night and day between my experiences in domestic team cars because they're they're just a lot more professional they deal things um, calmly and collectively i mean there was some there was some major issues on the road with uh, anuska costa's bike um she was having big problems um uh shifting gears and yeah they just dealt with it they got the bike prepared um in case she needed to swap and it was just done so simply and you know with a minimum of of fuss which is 
I think I think something that we can aspire, well, that um, a lot of domestic teams can aspire to. So it's interesting to see stuff on that different level. I think that's just about to good for us to wrap it up because we're going far too long at this stage. Uh, I will thank the sponsor of the podcast is Out of the Rat Race Cycling Apparel. Make sure you go to au to check out their range. Some fantastic, great-looking kit on there. So make sure you jump on and check it out. Brody. I mean, like I said before, everyone else who gets around you just so you can race your bike and makes it possible. Um, definitely like to thank CBR Cycling for giving me a crack all throughout injury. Um, Holden for giving me a spot to ride at Race Melbourne and Cadell's. Obviously, Cordamentha Cycling Australia, to, um, again, give me that spot and just taking a risk with a rider such as myself. And um, Shimano Australia have been my primary sponsor and they've just given me support no matter whether I'm racing enduro cross-country road bikes like commuting like they'll they'll give me some equipment which is you know otherwise I couldn't couldn't do it and also my boyfriend Dan Bonello because he really got the stoke going for racing again like he's just so stoked on racing himself and it's made a huge difference to me just doing a lot of racing a lot of training and um, also just watching the men's racing and having him I suppose explain how it all works a lot more has made me a smarter rider so yeah and I understand uh, special thanks maybe for Peter Mullins, who um, uh, I understand had some words to the selectors and said that you pretty much had to be picked in this Herald Sun team. She is an absolute legend of a human. We, we've raced pretty much every discipline together, I think, now. And um, having her on the team made such a difference to being more comfortable, relaxed and asking questions. And I'm so stoked that she was able to put a good word in for me and then I was able to... Um, make it make it work <laughs> in the end so thanks Peter see you this weekend at uh, Snowy's Mountain Bike Race <laughs> uh, I'm sure Peter listens to the podcast and now to the other Peter um, I'll chuck in a, a specific um, plug for you guys I mean the videos that um, have been put out by Mobius Bridgelane I mean that they've been really really entertaining and just interesting insights into the team as well so I, I thoroughly suggest you go to the Facebook page and check out those videos um, anything else you want to add Pete? Oh, no, thanks for having me on the podcast, Jamie. I know this was uh, just, just charity um, that you're doing this for me. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great to have guys like you covering the, uh, the domestic racing. So thanks, mate. Uh, well, thanks, Pete. Um, and you did okay for your first time, I think. Yeah, well, I, I did almost every race day except for, except for three days I was sick during the uh, TD year um, with the flu. And during those incredibly hot days, so it was like plus 40 and I was lying in the bed flu wanting to die. But, um, yeah, so apart from that, I covered every race day of the Australian summer. Maybe I'll get over to some of those New Zealand races next year. They sound like a lot of fun. So we should pretty much leave it there. Thanks for listening. Um, I know it's been a bit of a long slog, this podcast, but um, I think it was probably worth it. And, yeah, we'll catch you around uh, when, when the next block of racing rolls around. Okay, bye.